Hi everyone, and welcome to this episode on the physical and human factors which affect flood risk. I will also be covering flood hydrographs and how they show the relationship between precipitation and discharge. First, let's begin with some definitions. A flood is an event which leads to normally dry land being covered or submerged by water. Sometimes it is referred to as the point at which a river cannot contain water within its channel and overflows onto surrounding land. A human factor is one which is caused or determined by humans and their actions. These include the use of impermeable surfaces and deforestation. A physical, sometimes called natural factor, is one which derives from nature and is not affected or determined by humans or human actions. These include heavy rain, steep slopes, or the existence of naturally impermeable rock around a river's floodplain or basin. You'll also need to be familiar with interception, which is when vegetation, plant leaves and roots especially, stops or traps precipitation. Infiltration, which is when water soaks into soil. Surface runoff, which is when water flows generally quite quickly over land and towards the river. River discharge, which is essentially the amount of water in a river, although there is a more complicated definition for that. And river capacity, which is the volume of water a river can hold within its channel. I will now explain how precipitation, geology, relief and land use can all increase or determine flood risk. It will be helpful at this point if you draw what I am saying in the form of a flowchart, so that one event leads to the other and is linked by an arrow. I will also make it clear when I think it will be useful, but it is not necessary. Precipitation, geology and relief are the physical factors affecting flood risk here, or rather the causes of flooding. If we start with relief, then imagine that a river is surrounded by steep slopes. That means that precipitation will not be able to infiltrate as gravity pulls it down the slope quickly and surface runoff will increase both in speed as it travels down the slope and into the river and in volume. Given that surface runoff increases, the river's discharge, the amount of water in the river, will quickly increase, leading to the river to exceed its capacity and finally for a flood to occur. So if you want to visualise this with the flowchart I mentioned earlier, it would go, number one, steep slopes are present in the drainage basin. Number two, precipitation occurs. Number three, little to no infiltration occurs, again because of obviously the influence of gravity on those steep slopes. Number four, therefore surface runoff increases both in speed and in volume. Number five, as a result, river discharge exceeds river capacity. And finally, number six, a flood occurs. The next physical factor is geology. This refers to the fact that surfaces around the river can be permeable or impermeable, meaning that they let water soak in or pass through, that's impermeable, or sorry, that's permeable, or they do not, that's impermeable. So again, if they let water soak in and pass through, that's permeable, and if they do not, that's impermeable. For example, chalk is permeable, while slate is impermeable. Quite simply, impermeable rocks encourage greater surface runoff. This is because they do not, allow, do not allow infiltration, which means water instead flows over land towards the river. On the other hand, permeable rocks would decrease the risk of flooding, as either A, less water ends up in the river because it ends up in the soil or rocks, or B, the water reaches the river much more slowly through through flow or groundwater flow, so we would not get any flash floods. Again, if you want to visualise this with a flowchart, we will start with number one, impermeable rocks are present in the drainage basin. Number two, precipitation occurs. 
Number three, little to no infiltration occurs. Again, obviously, because we have these impermeable rocks which do not allow infiltration. Number four, therefore, surface runoff increases in terms of volume because the water has almost no choice other than to uh, become surface runoff. Number five, as a result, river discharge exceeds river capacity. And number six, therefore, a flood occurs. You may have been taught several other causes of flooding by your teacher, but the final physical factor on the specification is precipitation. I think it's the most obvious cause of flooding. Of course, flooding will occur if we get rain. However, we need to be a bit more precise about this and we need to know about it in a lot more detail. Generally, for the purposes of exams and your lessons, we will either get light rainfall or heavy downpours. In the case of light rainfall, the risk of flooding is low. This is because there's been time for infiltration to occur, i.e. the soil has ha had time to soak in the water and is not quickly ending up in the river. However, the story is different in relation to a heavy downpour. When this occurs, the soil will saturate quite quickly. This will mean that it is too full of water to take any more in. Think of it like putting a sponge underneath the tap in your house and watching it so get so full of water that it can't take any more in. Then, if you were to squeeze the sponge, the water would come out and it would be able to be full of water again, but you'd be able to see the process again as the sponge would quickly not be able to take in any more water once it's uh, saturated. Alternatively, those of you who play football may have had a game called off and the reason was a waterlogged pitch. That's soil saturation occurring. Now, that's the heavy downpour has saturated the soil. Infiltration will not occur as the soil cannot take up any more water. So that heavy rainfall has come down either in the mat matter of a couple of hours or over several days and that means that the soil has become saturated. So if we go back to those steps in the flowchart again, number one, heavy rainfall occurs. Number two, little to no infiltration occurs because of that soil saturation. Number three, therefore surface runoff increases in terms of volume. Number four, as a result, river discharge exceeds river capacity. And obviously, therefore, number five, which you're probably getting used to now, a flood occurs. If you've studied it, you'll know that this was one of the main causes of the 2004 Boscastle flood. 89 millimetres or 3.5 inches of rain was recorded in 60 minutes at one point during that day. So it is no wonder that a devastating flood occurred. The only human factor mentioned in the specification is land use, although I'll also briefly cover deforestation, as you may have been taught this, and in fact it comes under the umbrella of land use. Land use refers to exactly what you think it means, how humans use land. Is it being built on? Is it the site of a farm? Is it a greenfield site? Is it part of a city? What it comes down to is the presence of impermeable surfaces and the lack of vegetation. As you all well know, when humans build, they do so using impermeable surfaces, such as tarmac and concrete, those surfaces which you would walk on on the way to school. They also quite famously remove vegetation in a process known as deforestation. Much like our discussion on impermeable surfaces earlier, surfaces used in cities encourage greater surface runoff. This is because they do not allow infiltration, which means that water instead flows over land towards the river. It's the reason why you would have puddles forming on top of concrete, because concrete is impermeable and would therefore not allow that water to be soaked in. So therefore, number one, 
impermeable rocks are present in the drainage basin. Number two, precipitation occurs. Number three, little to no infiltration occurs. Number four, surface runoff increases in terms of volume. Number five, river discharge exceeds river capacity. And finally, yet again, a flood occurs. Deforestation is the final cause, as I won't actually be covering farming, which is something else you may have been taught. Deforestation occurs when humans want to use land for other purposes around a river, such as building homes. If you live in London and have been anywhere near Hammersmith Bridge, you'll know that an increasing amount of homes are being built either side of the River Thames. Deforestation is the removal of trees and their roots, and as these are types of vegetation, their removal will lead to a decrease in interception. Interception is essentially nature's way of slowing down water. So typically a forested area will have less water ending up in the river as more has been taken up by the soil or roots after having been intercepted by vegetation. Or if it does end up in the river, it would have been slowed down quite a bit on its way there. So for our final flowchart, we can begin with number one, deforestation occurs in the drainage basin. Number two, precipitation occurs. Number three, little to no interception occurs, and therefore less infiltration occurs. This means that surface runoff increases both in terms of speed and volume this time. As a result, river discharge quickly exceeds river capacity, and a flood occurs. So those are the four factors in brief, but as you near your exam, you're going to want to consider your knowledge on a topic such as this in relation to exam questions. I'd like you to listen to the following questions and see if you could answer them using what we've revisited today. So number one, the causes of river flooding are usually the result of human factors. Do you agree with the statement? Explain your answer. So that was a six marker. Uh, and number two, another six marker. With the help of figure 14, explain how physical and human factors can increase the risk of river flooding. Uh, like I said, this was a six marker. And just to give you a bit of context, figure 14 showed the image of a city which had been flooded. And it was mainly showing human factors, but there was scope to speak about physical factors. So those three physical factors which I've discussed today. Now that we've covered the factors which affect flood risk, it is time to turn our attention to hydrographs and how they show the relationship between precipitation and discharge. At this point, it would be helpful if you could visualise a flood hydrograph. I'm sure that you've been shown one before in lesson, even if it wasn't an annotated one. But just to summarise, the basic features of a hydrograph are, number one, peak discharge, so the amount of water held in the channel. You'll see this in the form of the lines in this graph. Peak rainfall, so the maximum amount of rainfall in millimetres, and you'll see this in the bars on the graph. Lag time, that's the time taken between peak rainfall and peak discharge. Rising limb, which shows the increase in discharge on the hydrograph. So that's, again, the line that you're seeing on the hydrograph. Falling limb shows the return of discharge to normal or base flow on a hydrograph. So again, you're seeing that in the form of a line. And finally, base flow, which is the normal discharge of river, which some hydrographs may or may not show. So flood hydrographs show us how quickly and in what amount precipitation reaches the river. So because the specification asks you to be able to explain how they show the relationship between precipitation and discharge, that's what I would do just now. So we're talking essentially about how those water droplets which fell from a cloud not long ago, making their way into that flowing river, which I'm sure you can visualize. The time between peak rainfall and peak discharge, so the highest amount of rainfall and the point at which the river will burst its banks and lead to a flood, is called lag time. 
and it will vary. It could be quite short, like in the 2004 Boss Castle flood, or longer, depending on the conditions around the river in question. Essentially, what does the area around the river look like? So let's say that in an exam or in a lesson, you're shown two contrasting hydrographs. If it's the ones that are often shown, it is likely that one of them will have a shorter lag time and one will show a longer lag time. That means that the one with the short lag time will have a steep rising limb, which is sort of like in those graphs, which I'm sure you've seen before and have been asked to describe before, which rise quite quickly. So the line goes up quite steeply and sharply. And the one with the longer lag time will have a much gentler rising limb. So why would precipitation take longer to reach the river? These are just a few reasons, but there are many others. So number one, we may have only had light rainfall. As a result, water reached the river quite slowly, perhaps through through flow, as a lot of it would have been infiltrated because there was time for that to happen. Number two, the area around the river may be forested. So that means it's full of trees and vegetation. This would slow down falling rain as it is intercepted and maybe even infiltrated. You might then see a gentle rising limb as the water eventually makes its way into the river. Permeability is our third reason it might affect this. The river's drainage basin might be full of permeable rocks and as a result precipitation is infiltrated, making its way more slowly and perhaps in a lower amount. The discharge on the subsequent hydrograph therefore might be lower. The valley sides may be quite gentle. This is reason number four. Therefore, the rising limb is gentle too, as the water makes its way into the river generally more slowly than it would if it were on a steep slope. And obviously, we discussed steep slopes earlier on. After all, you will know yourself that you run faster downhill than you would on flat ground due to the influence of gravity. Why would precipitation then reach the river more quickly? So why would we see a shorter lag time and a much more steep rising limb? Basically, it's all the reasons that I've just mentioned above reversed, so the exact opposite. But I'll just do two. But I'll just do two so that you get the idea. So number one, the area may have been cleared of all vegetation. So it actually might not be a heavily forested area or sort of a natural looking area. This will mean that there's no interception that would be occurring and nothing would actually be present to slow down the vegetation. So it would head to the river quite quickly and in the form of surface runoff. You would therefore see a steep rising limb as we go from peak rainfall to peak discharge quite quickly. Because like I said, there's nothing slowing this water down. Number two, there might be a really heavy downpour. And so soil saturation occurs quite quickly, which is something that I mentioned early on. As such, the surfaces around the river basically become impermeable, not allowing infiltration. This means that surface runoff increases and heads towards the river to increase its discharge very quickly, ultimately leading to a flood. Like I said before, as you near your exams, you're going to want to consider your knowledge on a topic such as this in relation to exam questions. A question from the 2018 paper asked you to consider this point of view. Differences in the shape of flood hydrographs are caused by both human and physical factors. So just bear in mind what I've talked through just now and think about what you might write in relation to this question. Does the shape of a hydrograph change in relation to human or physical factors? Or actually, is it both? That brings this episode to an end. Hopefully, it's been helpful in covering A, how physical and human factors, such as precipitation, geology, relief and land use, affect flood risk. And B, what flood hydrographs show and how their shape can change in relation to several factors. Thank you for listening and good luck.
If you found this episode useful, you will find more episodes by searching for our new podcast channels. Search Revise GCSE and your subject for more podcasts to help you with your revision.